Deb, my name's Deb. Um, I've been here in Gateway Family for over 28 years now. This is the first time I've ever preached, so bear with me. What's happening? Is that okay? You hear me now? Okay, right. Do I need to start it all over again? <laughs> okay, so as I said, yeah, so I won't do the whole bit again, but so. I never thought I, preaching was going to be something that I'd ever be called to or be nice to do or anything like that. And um, God reminded me of something recently. So I was at Highworth. Some of you may have gone, gone to the worship evenings at Highworth. And somebody I never didn't know came up to me and gave me a word about that the dreams that I've had in the past, God's going to start bringing them forth. And um, a few days later, Colin then asked me to do the preach. And then I was... God then reminded me of a dream I had over 10 years ago about standing up here in front of everybody, giving the word, preaching. So, so the scene, the word is God behind the scenes. So that's part of my life, God working behind the scenes. So that's where we're at today. So first of all, we actually know we've been going through Esther. So I'm just going to do a quick recap of what we've done so far. Um, so Esther and Mordecai, they are Jews, they're living in exile. Esther became queen after the king banished his wife when she refused to parade naked in front of all the kings and his courtiers. There was a plot to kill the king, which was stopped by Mordecai. Haman then convinced the king to issue a decree to kill all the Jews in the province on the 13th day of the 12th month. Mordecai then asked Esther to approach the king and plead for their people. Esther agrees. She finds favour with the king and asks what she wants. She invites the king, Haman, to a banquet. And at the banquet, the king asks Esther again, what does she want? She invites the king and Haman to another banquet. And that's where Daniel left it off two weeks ago. So we're going to pick up from there. So um, I'm just going to read Esther 5, 9 to 14. It's quite lengthy, so just bear with me in it. And if there's words I can't say, I might skip over them, all right? (laughs) So, and Haman went out that day, joyful and glad of heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he neither rose nor trembled before him, he was filled with wrath against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home, and he sent and brought his friends and his wife Zeresh. And Haman recounted to them the splendor of his riches, the number of his sons, or the promotions with which the king had honored him, and how he advanced to him above the officials and the servants of the king. Then Haman said, Even Queen Esther, let no one come before the king to the feast she prepared. Tomorrow, also, I'm invited by her together with the king. Yet all this is worth nothing to me, so as long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Then his wife, Zeresh, and all his friends said to him, Let a gallow fifty cubits high be made, and in the morning tell the king to have Mordecai hanged upon it. Then go joyfully with the king to the feast. This idea pleased Haman, and he had the gallows made. So, what do you want? What do you want? That's the question. It's a simple question, but sometimes it's really hard to answer that. And that's what the king asked Esther on two occasions. But if you notice, she didn't give him a straight answer. She just kept inviting him to come for a banquet because in Esther's eye, it's all in the timing. And sometimes that's something, one of the things we're going to look at through this morning. So I'm going to do it slightly differently today. So I'm going to look at the question of what, what do you want for the three characters, Haman, Mordecai and Esther. So Haman, he's an ambitious man. He'll stop at nothing to get what he wants. He seeks power, admiration, wealth, wants to be at the top of his game. 
He likes to boast about his wealth, seeks the approval of everybody else, and doesn't have, he doesn't have a heart of compassion, doesn't care about anybody about himself, and he hates Mordecai. He's ruthless, and so he plots to kill Mordecai, and he wouldn't, because he wouldn't bow down to him. He feels elated that he has reached his peak and excited that he has been invited to attend the Queen's banquet. He had everything, and yet he still had nothing. And he still, was, he still wasn't satisfied with all that he had. Just think about that. That's how a lot of society is that we live in today. Our aim, the aim is to achieve everything that they can. Striving to be top dog, the biggest house, best job, admiration of everybody, popularity, most followers on TikTok, loads of followers on Instagram, but that's what we live in. That's where we're at in this society where we live now. The aim of the world at the minute is to seize the day, carpe diem. We celebrate young. We celebrate all that the young do. And we forget about those people in advancing years. Unless, of course, they do something miraculous, like run a marathon. And then, and then we celebrate those people. So when we were at New Day recently, um, Andrew Wilson gave a great preach on and what it's like to live in the world, and what it's like to be a Christian. So I'm just going to get them to put up a picture. So this is the world shape on life. I'll just stand to the side. So you start off, you're born, and you work your way all the way to the top. You're climbing to get to the very top. But as you see, it slides back down again, all the way to the bottom. And once you've reached the top, where do you go from there? What's life like for you then? You've reached everything you can possibly do, but actually, this slowly decline. And that leads, the Bible tells us, it leads to death. It says in, it says in the Bible that we, um, the wages of sin of death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So, if we have a look at the next slide. So this is a smile shape. This kind of what the Christian life is like and if you look at it, it's kind of curve and a lot of it's at the bottom of the curve a lot of us kind of sit between that line we may have like trials temptations different things along the way um, and we struggle but you know our hope isn't in we're not down at the bottom our hope is when we get to the top because Jesus has defeated Satan on the cross we have eternal life because of him and that's what we're living for we're not living for the now and the here and now and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that what we go through now isn't important, because it is. But Jesus is with us for all of that. He's with us, it's behind the scenes working in things that we never know he has. So we may have many trials in our life, but we have a God who turns our graves into gardens. He brings a joy in the morning. So that's kind of Haman's story. Just think about that, hold that thought in your mind. So now we're going to look at the next part of the scriptures. This is Esther 6, 1 to 14. And we're going to look at Mordecai's story. So on that night, the king could not sleep, and he gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds, the chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written how Mordecai had told about Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, who guarded the threshold and who guarded and who had sought to lay hands on king, I'm going to say King X. <laughs> and the king said, what honour or distinction has been bestowed on, me, on Mordecai for this? And the young king's men who attended him said, nothing's been done for him. And the king said, well, who's in the court? 
Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to speak to the king about having Mordecai hanged on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And the king's young men told him, Haman is there standing in the court. And so the king said, let him come in. So Haman came in and the king said to him, what should be done to the man who the king delights to honour? And Haman said to himself, hmm, what would the king delight to honour more than me? And Haman said to the king, for the man the king delights to honour, let the royal robes be brought, which the king has worn, and the cause that the king has ridden, and on whose head a crown is set. And let the robes and the horse be handed over to the one of the king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honour. And let them lead him on the horse for the square, square of the city, proclaiming before him, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honour. Then the king said to Haman, hurry, take the robes and the horse, as you have said, and do so to Mordecai the Jew, the Jew who sits at the king's gate. Leave out nothing that you have mentioned. So Taman took the robes and the horse, and he dressed Mordecai and led him through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honour. Then Mordecai returned to the king's gate. But Haman hurried to his house mourning and with his head covered. And Haman told his wife Sheresh and all his friends everything that had happened to him. Then his wise man and his wife said to him, If Mordecai before who you have begun to fall is all of the... If Mordecai, by whom you have begun to fall, is of the Jewish people, you will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. And while they were yet talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried to bring Haman to the feast that Esther had prepared. So, Mordecai, so he was Esther's guardian. He had raised her when her parents died, he'd nurtured her, and he cared for her. And he was still looking out for her, even when she was the queen. And although through the book of Esther, we've heard many times God's name isn't mentioned, we can see that God is at work. Mordecai discovered the plot to kill the king. He could have been silent. He could have thought, oh, well, it doesn't matter to me. I'm not going to say anything. But he didn't. He asked Esther to inform the king. She told the king all about Mordecai and what they'd heard. And that was kind of the end of it for him. And later, when he heard about the news about the plot to annihilate the Jews, um, Haman was distraught, he was distraught and he urged Esther to approach the king. So there's a guy who'd told the king all the things and yet nothing seemed to happen to him. You know, sometimes in our lives we think we pray, we ask God to do something and we think, God's silent, why isn't he listening? Why is he not doing what I've asked? What's going on? Is he really there? Is, is the God I really believe in truly going to answer my prayer? And sometimes we can have periods in our lives where that happens to us and we, we question, what's God doing? But as we read, but suddenly his life was about to change. You know, God works in lots of suddenness. Suddenly something just changes and we think, oh my gosh, well, how did that happen? What, what happened there? And so I suppose we've all got things in our lives where that's happened to us. We can all have testimonies of a sudden you think, well, how did that happen? So... The happening was that the king couldn't sleep that night. Of all the nights that he couldn't sleep, it was that night. Haman was about to kill Mordecai in the morning, but that night the king couldn't sleep. Five years had passed since that happened. Five years since Mordecai had stopped the king being killed. That's quite a long time, isn't it? Sometimes, you know, many of us may have prayers that are unanswered longer than that. But five years for Mordecai. But 
his misfortune was totally turned around. That gives us great hope. Great hope that God is working behind the scenes in all of our lives. Mordecai believed in the promises of God. He knew that God would deliver the Jews. He'd lived through. He understood the promises that had been had. He knew all the things that had gone on before him, all the stories of old. And those things he remembered, and that helped him and gave him hope to carry on because he knew his God would come through. And his remark to Esther, you were born for such a time as this, implies that the probability of an unknown Jewish lady, a young girl, would become the wife of a Persian king. Well, who'd have thought it? A Jewish girl would become the wife of a Persian king. You know, isn't something you, can, you could probably have comprehended at the time. And yet, look at it in, in another way. It's another example of God's timing. God has perfect timing. Not our timing, not in the way we want him to work, but in his timing. God's timing is perfect. But what do we do in the waiting? How do you cope when you're going through a hard time? How do you cope when things aren't going your way? How do you cope when you might have sickness and you you don't see an end to the healing? But the thing is, we're living for eternity. And actually, our hope is in eternity. Sometimes our things are not in this life. We are called to live into eternity and live in the hope of the glory. There's a real prophetic edge to that. They have to live in what's going to be happening, not necessarily in the here and now. We have to hold on to that hope. We have to trust. We have to have faith. And we have to be faithful because we are going to live for eternity. And in eternity, the Bible says that all sickness and all pain will be gone. And that's what we're living for. And I know it can be painful in the waiting time, but our hope is in Jesus. Our prayers might not be answered But we are not left abandoned by God. Just hold on to that. We are not abandoned by God. God is with us. He is our hope. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. doesn't affirm that all things are good and that all things will work together for good people. That's not what it's saying. It says, rather, the great promise is that God will overcome and work for the tragedies caused to to us by sin in the world, to accomplish his purposes in the lives of those who love him and have responded to his call. That's, That's what we're living for. He will overcome. We have a God who overcomes. He overcomes every situation that we're in, and that's what you have to hold on to. So let's just look at the two lives of Haman and Mordecai. Completely different characters, contrasting characters. Haman represents, Haman represents evil. Mordecai represents good in the world. It's God's reversal work at here. Haman wanted to humiliate Mordecai. He wanted to humiliate him and kill him. But instead, Haman is humiliated and then Mordecai is exalted. Do you know, this points to Jesus. If you think about Jesus, Satan wanted to humiliate Jesus. He died on that cross and it seemed all was lost, but he resurrected. He came alive and then he was exalted and he will return. (laughs) Satan was defeated and humiliated and he still lives with that now. And he is still trying to, even though he knows there is no hope for him. He is still trying to change our minds about how we see things. And he constantly tries to see 
tries to change the world, but actually we've got to hope because actually we know he's already been defeated and there is no chance of him ever, ever, ever becoming exalted, ever. And then Revelation 19, verse 11 says, Then I saw heaven open and a white horse was standing there. The one standing on the horse was named Faithful and True. For he judges fairly and then goes to war. We have a hope of Jesus, faithful and true. Remember those words, faithful and true. That's what we're standing on and remembering. In the prayer meeting this morning, we were talking to them, all of them were talking about how sometimes darkness is, is going on behind us and yet God will bring it to light. Proverbs 15 verse 11 says, even the depths of death and destruction are known by the Lord. How much more does he know about the human hearts? God has complete knowledge. Nothing, nothing can be hidden from him. So if you think there's things going on, but actually God will reveal those times, those things in time, nothing is ever going to be hidden from him. Do you know, I struggle. I was thinking, as I was preparing this preach, I asked, as thou, what do I do now? Do I talk about myself or I give you a nice little story? And I think I'm just going to tell you something about myself. I just have a quick drink. Hold on. So many of you don't know my story. I found Jesus when I was nine, and and he became became the love of my life. I married a good Christian man. Went to church together. We served together. And then five years into our marriage, he suddenly decided he didn't want to follow God anymore. Five years. And then for the next 20 years, I prayed. And I prayed. And I prayed for God to change his heart. I prayed for God to do something in his life. And it was really tough. Really tough time. And I understand that those of you that come to church and you're not with your partner, I understand what that feels like. But God is a faithful God. And he answered my prayer in a way that I never would have expected. Sadly, my marriage ended. But God has transformed my life. He has brought me to a place that I would never, ever have thought. He's brought me into a world of, of joy and of peace and of blessing. And I'm not saying my life is easy because there isn't. There are days and I, I struggle. I struggle sometimes. I think I'm, I'm always going to be on my own. I don't know, I have a God who loves me and a God who cares for me and he's going to be with me. And I just, you know, 25 years I was married and yet now 11 years I've been on my own and yet God has done such an amazing thing in my life. So we'll carry on with the story. So Esther 7, verses 1 to 10. So the king and Haman went into feast with Equine Esther. And on the second day, as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king again said to Esther, What's your wish, Queen Esther? It should be granted to you. And what's your request? Even to the half of my kingdom, it should be fulfilled. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favour in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, then let my life be granted for my wish and for my people for my request. For we have been sold, and I, have my, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. If we've been sold merely as slaves... Men and women, I would have been silent, for our affliction is not to be compared with the loss of the king. Then King X said to Esther, Who is he? And where is he? Who has dared to do this to you? And Esther said, A foe and an enemy, this wicked man Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. 
And the king arose in his wrath from the wine drinking and went to the palace garden. But Haman stayed to beg for his life from Queen Esther, for he saw that harm was determined against him by the king. And the king returned from the palace garden to the place where they were drinking wine. And as Haman was falling on the, gra- on the couch where Esther was, and the king said, Will he even assault the queen in my presence in my own house? And as the words left the mouth of the king, they covered Haman's face. Then Habona, one of the eunuchs in attendance on the king, said, Moreover, the gallows that Haman has prepared for Mordecai, whose words saved the king, is standing at Haman's house, 50 cubits high. And the king said, Hang him on that. So they hanged Haman on the gallows, and that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the wrath of the king abated. Esther is a young girl. She's known lots of heartache in her life. She was orphaned. She's married to a British king. She's exposed to a lifestyle that wasn't her choosing. And then she was asked to risk her life to save, the, to save her people. Yet she accepted God's will in her life. Her wisdom was beyond her years. She knew that her timing had to be perfect. If she just blurted out from the first time when the king said, what do you want? Her life wouldn't have been spared. And nor would that be the lives of her people that she, she loved and longed to do. But she prepared for her task. We read a couple of weeks ago, they, we read that Esther, she'd fasted and prayed. But not only that, she encouraged others to do the same. She didn't just do it on her own. She did it with others. She presented herself with humility and obedience. She was courageous, clever, and self-sacrificing. God used her to save her people. God works through our human decisions. How many times have we made the wrong choices? How many times have we thought we'll do something, and yet God still uses us? He still loves us. He's still there for us. She was willing to sacrifice herself for the others. Who else did that? Jesus. Jesus sacrificed his life for us. You know, sometimes we forget that, don't we? We're so busy with our lives. We're so concerned about me, myself and I, that we forget about Jesus. And that's what I want to remind you of this morning, that Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the key. So what a story. It's full of twists and turns, highs and lows. And yet, and we can sure, we can all identify that with our own lives. Our lives tend to go like this. I asked you the question at the beginning, what do you want? What do you want in your life? Each character that I've spoke about this morning had a goal in their lives and an aim. What's yours? What do you want to do with your life? Maybe you can identify with one of the characters. Maybe you're like Haman. You're caught up with the world's trap of trying to be the best. You're trying to achieve everything, trying to get to that top goal. Maybe, you're, maybe you don't even know who Jesus is. Maybe you've never understood, or even this is maybe your first time you've heard about Jesus. Maybe you understand, what, what is this all about? As I said earlier, the wages of sin are death, but the gift of life The gift of God is eternal life for Jesus Christ, our Lord. Or maybe Mordecai. Maybe you're waiting for that unanswered prayer. Maybe you're waiting a long time. Maybe you've lost hope. 
maybe you don't see that there's something that God is actually going to come through for you. We need to be faithful. We need to follow him. We need to trust on his promises. Those of us who are followers of Jesus have the hope of eternity. Jesus has already paid that price. Or maybe you identify with Esther. You know what it is to follow God. Maybe you're called to encourage others like she did. Even in the depths of her despair, she called on others to, to fast and pray. I've been reading a lot about with John Mark Comey recently. And he has three things about practicing the way of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, there's three great things. You need to be with Jesus. You don't know somebody by casually chatting to them. You get to know somebody by spending time with them. That's how you know somebody. You don't have a new friend by just the odd text. You need to spend time with that person. Jesus is calling for you to spend time with him. And then you need to become like Jesus. How do you become like Jesus? You need to spend time with him. You see what he did. And then we need to do what Jesus did. We need to live out the way that he did. Romans 5, verse 3 to 6. This is our hope. But we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulations produce perseverance. And perseverance produces character and character hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit that he's given to us. God's salvation is not born of out of his eternal purposes and is not dependent on us, our human nature, or the world's changing circumstances. God will bring about his plans, his timing, and his works. Silence. Just some food for thought to you. I've asked the band if they would um, play a song for us this morning. It's called Graves into Gardens. And actually this song is kind of like most of our lives. And I've asked them to come up. But I just, during that time, I just think if there's a... If, you, if any of that is resonated with this morning, maybe you don't know Jesus. Or maybe you're going for a really hard time and you just think, God, what are you doing? Maybe you just need some time to reflect on that. There's going to be a prayer team at the side if you want to go and have prayer. If you want to come and talk to me or Al or one of the others in the church about if you don't know Jesus, you want to know more about it or sign up for the Alpha course. It's another great thing to really find out about Jesus. So I'll let the band sing this song to you and thank you very much. <laughs>